This week on the show, we have the Terrapin attack, and we will cover it in detail for the various operating systems, what it involves, and how you can harden your system with it. We also cover SSH hardening tool with SSH audit, the new Midnight BSD 3.1.2 release, the syscall removed from OpenBSD's current is interesting to you, and we also tell you a little bit about the 2024 FreeBSD community survey that the FreeBSD Foundation put out. And there's a couple of things more in this week's episode of BSD. Now. BSD Now, episode 540, Terrapin Attacks SSH, recorded on the 21st of December 2023. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow to find online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in one way or the other, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. And we thank you in advance for that. Hello, we are your hosts, Benedict Reuschling. Now I'm Jason Tubner. Hello, welcome. This is still recorded in the old year, even though you may listen to us in the new year, 2024. Uh, but the year is not out for us yet, and we still have some things to do, like patching our system, because it turns out there's a thing going around uh, Terrapin attack. There's nothing quite like having a bit of activity uh, before we go into the Christmas holidays. Let's just patch those <laughs> systems. I mean, they, they know how to find these uh, attacks at the most inconvenient times of the year, because the last thing you want to be doing is having the patch before you go and leave or having open systems that need patching before you go and leave. But anyway, these things happen and the world moves on. So Terrapin attack. SSH is an internet standard that provides secure access to network services, particularly remote terminal login and file transfer within organizational networks and to over 15 million servers on the open internet. Terrapin is a prefix truncated attack targeting the SSH protocol. More precisely, Terrapin breaks the integrity of SSH secure channel. By carefully adjusting the sequence numbers during the handshake, an attacker can remove an arbitrary amount of messages sent by the client or server at the beginning of the secure channel without the client or server noticing it. The attack can be performed in practice, allowing an attacker to downgrade the connection security by truncating the extension negotiation message, which is RFC 8308 from the transcript. The truncation can lead to using less secure client authentication algorithms and deactivating specific countermeasures against keystroke timing attacks in OpenSSH 9.5. We also showed that the Terrapin can be used to enable the exploitation of the implementation flaws. For example, we have found several weaknesses in the async SSH service state machine, allowing an attacker to sign a victim's client into another account without the victim noticing. Hence, it will enable strong phishing attacks and may grant the attacker man-in-the-middle capabilities within the encrypted session. To perform the Terrapin attack, in practice, we require man-in-the-middle capabilities at the network layer, which is the layer that must be able to intercept and modify the connection's traffic. Additionally, the connection must be secure by either ChaCha20 Poly1305 or CBC with encrypted then Mac. However, our scan indicates an extensive adoption of these encryption modes. Therefore, Terrapin applies to most real-world SSH sessions. Then there's, uh, so this is all on the actual official Terrapin attack um, disclosure page. Uh, there's a, a, a diagram here that actually shows the actual play that occurs during the attack overview. Uh, the full technical paper, uh, there's a link in the actual page, which you'll see on the show notes. So you can actually look at the full technical paper for a full breakdown. The researchers provide the vulnerability scanner and it goes, we provide a simple console application written in Go, which can be used to determine whether an SSH server or client is vulnerable to the Terrapin attack. The scanner connects to your SSH server or listens for an incoming client connection to detect whether vulnerable encryption modes are offered and if the strict key exchange countermeasures is supported. It does not perform a fully fledged handshake, nor does it actually perform the attack. 
And then we come to some frequently asked questions that, uh, well, I had one of these questions actually and uh, I got it answered and it was just a clarification of what was on this page, but we'll cover that in a second. So the first question is, I am an admin, should I drop everything and fix this? And the short answer is probably not. The attack requires an active man-in-the-middle attacker that can intercept and modify the connections traffic at the TCP IP layer. Additionally, we require the negotiation of either ChaCha20 Poly1305 or any other CBC cipher in combination with the Encrypt and Mac as the connections encryption mode. What can the attackers gain? Within the paper, we describe an extension downgrade attack, allowing an attacker to downgrade the security of an SSH connection when using SSH extensions negotiation. The impact in practice heavily depends on the supported extensions. Most commonly, this will be impact the security of a client authentication when using an RSA public key. When using OpenSSH 9.5, it may also be used to deactivate certain countermeasures or to keystroke timing attacks. Who is vulnerable? Almost everyone. The Terrapin attack exploits weaknesses in the SSH transport layout protocol in combination with newer cryptographic algorithms and encryption modes introduced by OpenSSH over 10 years ago. Since then, these have been adopted by a wide range of SSH implementations, therefore affecting a majority of current implementations. So how practical is the attack? The Terrapin attack requires an active man-in-the-middle attacker. That means some way for an attacker to intercept and modify the data sent from the client or the server to the remote peer. This is difficult on the internet, but can be a plausible attacker model on a local network. Is my SSH client server vulnerable? Most likely, yes. In more technical terms, if your SSH implementation supports and is configured to offer the ChaCha20 Poly1305 at OpenSSH.com encryption algorithm or any uh, encryption algorithm suffixed with dash CBC in combination with any Mac algorithm suffixed with dash ETM at OpenSSH.com, you are vulnerable to Terrapin. Does this vulnerability have a CVE number? Yes, we got assigned a total of three CVE numbers. These are CVE2023-4. 48795 general protocol floor, CV2023-46445, rogue extension negotiation attack in async SSH, and CV2023-46446, rogue session attack in async SSH. Is this a new attack? The Terrapin attack can be considered the first attack in a new family of attacks targeting cryptographic network protocols and is the first ever practically exploited prefix truncation attack that we know of. How many vendors responded to this vulnerability? Many vendors have updated their SSH implementations to support an additional strict key exchange. What about other protocols? So this is where I was a bit concerned about OpenIKD uh, because OpenIKD supports uh, ChaCha20 Poly1305 and it's usually used on uh, low-powered CPUs that don't have cryptographic offload. And and through my testing, I found that um, it works uh, more efficiently than RSA, for example, on Raspberry Pis. So back to the FAQ, uh, what about other protocols? To this date, we are not aware of any practical prefix truncation in in other cryptographic network protocols. All versions of TLS reset the message sequence number to zero when changing key, therefore decoupling unencrypted and encrypted sequence numbers. Additionally, TLS authenticates the entire handshake, thus preventing an attacker from inserting any message, while IPsec Ike only authenticates parts of its handshake. Sequence numbers are reset similar to TLS, rendering it immune to our attack and you know if if they were affected then uh, things like WireGuard would be um, in serious um, issue because they don't have any other uh, crypto algos so there's that uh, what other what about other cipher modes 
AES GCM RFC 5647 is not affected by TerraPin as it does not use the SSH sequence numbers. Instead, AES GCM uses the IV obtained from key de derivation as is nuance incrementing it after sending a binary packet. In a healthy connection, this results in a nuance being at a fixed offset from the sequence number. And that basically, you know, is a summary of the actual uh, attack page. Now, there's a lot more that we missed, um, and you can read the whole article on the show notes if you click on the link on the show notes. But um, there's a significant amount of data there and links and citations to other areas that might be of interest to you. So take your time and uh, go and read up about it. Yep. And since this affects, as you have heard, SSH, and upstream for the BSDs is OpenSSH on the uh, on the OpenBSD project, a little sub-project, well, maybe not so little. Uh, so they have also provided patches and updates, of course, which and... saw us hit a 9.6 release from OpenSSH. Yeah. Uh, Damien Miller from OpenSSH has uh, announced the 9.6 and 9.6 P1, which is the portable edition that you see in uh, Linux and other, other releases. Uh, it has been released as of the 18th of the 12th, 2023, which is uh, 18th of December, 2023 for, you know, uh, Europeans and Australians. <laughs> Good to um, know. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, been uploaded and available on all mirrors uh, and uh, the main website, which is openssh.com. So, some changes since 9.5. Well, the Terrapin attack is one of those main changes. So, the first up is SSH and SSHD implementation protocol extensions to thwart the so-called Terrapin attack discovered by Fabian Barmer and Marcus Binkrinken and Jorn Schwenk. This attack allows a man in the middle to affect a limited break of the integrity of the early encrypted SSH transport protocol by sending extra messages prior to the commencement of the encryption and deletion and an equal number of consecutive messages immediately after the encryption starts. A peer SSH client server would not be able to detect the messages were deleted. While cryptographically novel, the security impact of this attack is fortunately very limited as it only allows the deletion of consecutive messages and deleting most messages at this stage of the protocol prevents the user, user authentication from proceeding and results in a stuck connection. The most serious identified impact is that it lets a man in the middle to delete the SSH2 message EXT info message sent before the authentication starts, allowing the attacker to disable a subset of keystroke timing notifications features introduced in OpenSSH 9.5. There is no other discernible impact to session secrecy or session integrity. Uh, we're just continuing uh, through here, we're just highlighting a few other ones. There is a um, significant amount of text around uh, the Terrapin attack and uh, Damien Miller has actually spent a lot of time breaking it down uh, in easy to, easy to understand language and, you know, a way that you can digest it without, you know, making it sound real scary. It's like, you know, it's something that we need to be concerned of, but, you know, it, it takes a more pragmatic look at the particular attack. Another new feature or security update, sorry, is an invalid user or host name that has contained shell meta characters was passed to SSH and a proxy command local command directive or match exec predict date reference the user or host name via percent %u or percent %h or similar extension tokens. Then an attacker could supply arbitrary user host names to SSH, could potentially perform command injection depending on Quote, uh, what quoting was present in the user-supplied SSH config directive. Uh, as, pre as announced previous editions, there is uh, potentially incompatibility changes and they briefly, the RFC 4254 connection channel protocols provide a TCP-like window mechanism that limits the amount of data that can be sent without acceptance from the peer. In cases where this is limited, 
was exceeded by a non-conforming peer SSH implementation. SSH and SSHD previously discarded the extra data from OpenSSH 9.6. SSH and SSHD will now terminate the connection if a peer exceeds the window limit by more than a small grace factor. This change should have no effect of SSH implementations that follow the specification. Uh, there's a few new features. Uh, SSH add a percent %j token that expands the configured proxy jump hostname or empty string if that this option is not being used. That can be used in a number of SSH config keywords. Add a channel timeout support to the client mirroring the same option in the server and allowing SSH to terminate QuidSense channels. SSH, SSHD, SSH add and SSH keygen add support for reading ED25519 private keys in PEMPKCS8 format. Previously, only the open SSH private key format was supported. Uh, SSH, SSHD introduced a protocol extension to allow renegotiation of acceptable signature algorithms for public key authentication after the server has learned the username being used for authentication. This allows varying SSHD config public accept algorithms in the match user block. And the final new thing is SSH add an SSH agent, add an agent protocol extension to allow the specific specifying certificates when loading PKCS number 11 keys. This allows the use of certificates backed by PKCS number 11 private keys in all OpenSSH tools that support SSH agent. Previously, only SSH supported this use case. There's a number of bug fixes. We won't go into those tonight, but the rest of it can be found in the release notes uh, that were over on Undeadly and linked on our website. Yep. So if you're kind of like, yeah, I'm not upgrading just for a security patch, you can get a couple of changes and bug fixes with that as well. So don't, uh, you know, postpone this. Uh, same is true for OpenBSD themselves. They have provided patches as well for the operating system in their usual uh, you know, patch signature and uh, dis vulnerability description. They also describe how to get the patch, how to you know, apply them uh, and patch the SSH binary in particular and um, yeah, in installing the new version that you just patched. Yeah, the uh, patch that's available on the OpenBSD website uh, under their errata uh, is uh, it's well detailed. So protocols broken down, and it's actually got a quite a significant amount of detail in the header uh, under user dot uh, user slash ssh slash protocol. Uh, so if you want to, you know, get a bit more of a technical insight to what's happening, uh, this is this is where the BSDs sign, where they have such good documentation in the code that you can understand why certain things have been applied, and you know, get a better understanding of you know how it works and why it works. So that that can be found over there on the SSH uh, patch, uh, which is signed on the website. FreeBSD also released. Uh, their patches. Uh, so uh, errata that was released uh, around the uh, 18th of December 2023. Uh, so note there was there was and this this really um, you know stood out to me uh, when I was looking at this and it sort of shows you know once releases get very very old, um, it it becomes quite a, a burden to keep them up to date. And I can understand why. Projects are shying away from you know long-term support of over five years because you know trying to backport some of these is quite takes quite a significant amount of manpower. Um, so there was this there's this note at the start of the errata uh, for this OpenSSH issue. Note while this issue does affect 12.4 stable and 12.4 release, the version of OpenSSH in 12.4 is old enough. The vendor provided patch does not cleanly apply. As 12.4 goes out of support at the end of December, which is only a few days away, and in order to quickly get fixes out for 14.0 and 13.2, the FreeBSD security team is issuing this advisory now while feasibility of a 12.4 backport is investigated. 
users with 12.4 are encouraged to either implement the documented workaround or leverage an up-to-date version of OpenSSH from the ports package collection. Um, so there's um, a bit of background there. So they talk about the OpenSSH protocol and then the uh, problem description just in high-level language. It uh, makes it easy to understand uh, and the impact that it's got, uh, which is the risk to your system. Uh, they've got the workarounds. If you can't apply the patches just yet, there's, there is workarounds. Uh, sometimes there isn't workarounds, but, you know, fortunately in this case, we do have some workarounds. Um, but the easiest way is to, you know, run a recent system, you know, a modern, modern system as we call it, which is 14.0 uh, or 13.2 and uh, FreeBSD fetch and FreeBSD update install and uh, patch your systems before you go on holidays. Yeah, and don't leave them wide open. Otherwise, uh, yeah, you will have a surprise when you come back to the to the office or to those systems again. Yeah, you uh, with, with, with universities, I think you've pro you guys got, uh, you know, more issues on the layer two there with uh, yeah, you know, pe people yeah. hanging around there. It's, you know, as, as it said earlier in the article with uh, layer three, it's a bit harder to implement the man in the middle attack. But yeah, on large campuses, you certainly will have, um, you know, people probably trying to pop things left, right and center. Yeah, we have a vulnerability scanner for our uh, OpenStack instance where students or people can like create their own systems, their own virtual machines. And of course, they all have SSH, right? If they're using some kind of Unix and that is good to know like which systems have these patches already and which ones should apply them. And that's a good way to uh, make sure that we check for these things. So uh, it's not 100% foolproof, but at least we have a way to uh, scan like how many systems have already been patched and which ones do we maybe shut down because they haven't been used in a while anyway. Um, so we look for NetBSD patches also. I saw that there were patches, but there's uh, at the time of this recording, we haven't seen anything uh, publicly uh, on the lists that we can point to. Um, maybe by the time you listen to this recording, uh, we may have updated our show notes. So this may then include a link to NetBSD security advisory for that. I saw that there were patches uh, made for this kind of vulnerability. And so uh, we just haven't a uh, direct link to it yet. Yeah, as of the 21st, I went looking um, 21st of the 12th, uh, 21st of December. Uh, I have to say it the, just so everybody's clear of where it is because the last thing you want to be saying is 12th of the 12th. People won't know where it is. Um, so the 21st of December, uh, I went looking like you, Benedict. I went to uh, the NetBSD errata list. I couldn't see anything, so they haven't done an official announcement there yet. And also went over to the uh, source tree of Dragonfly and I hadn't seen any commitment uh, there. So, but. I can't remember from the top of my head if SSH is in base on Dragonfly or if they rely on their ports distribution of that. So it will depend. Oh, yeah. It will depend if um, which way they they manage that. But yeah, those two operating systems have yet to uh, officially or publicly release an errata notice around it. Yeah, and so uh, again, many of these problems or many of these uh, advisories even. They are worked on by the security teams and many of these security team members are doing it in their free time or they are sponsored in one way or the other by the foundations that are behind these projects. So if you are still looking for some things to do uh, before the holidays, then you may want to consider a donation to some of these people, to some of these projects, to these foundations, OpenBSD, FreeBSD, NetBSD so that they can continue these kinds of efforts and keep your favorite operating system secure and also do many other things like advocacy and continued release engineering and many other things. So this is a good way to say, here's a bit of money. Thank you for patching my systems in time or providing some uh, ways to do that. Uh, we stick with this topic a little bit. Uh, we have found another article that perfectly fits into this topic, SSH hardening with SSH audit, right? So this is over on thoughts.grayh.at. So gray hat, you kind of see where this is going. Uh, and they have uh, tutorial-like in, or instructions for us how to scan our SSH and harden it a little bit. And they start with today, 
the Explored SSH-Audit tool designed to audit SSH configurations. Although it's an excellent tool, they found the SSH or the hardening guide somewhat lacking. Uh, that's a separate link from their uh, blog post, and we link, of course, to the blog post from our show notes. The, uh, so they decided to write a detailed walkthrough ensuring the SSH, SSH, D configurations are easily readable. The SSH audit tool is important for several reasons. First, SSH protocol analysis. The tool can identify the SSH protocol version and provide details about the supported key exchange, encryption, uh, message, uh, the Mac and compression algorithms. This is a crucial for understanding the security posture of an SSH server. Security vulnerability detection is also another important reason. SSH audit can detect known vulnerabilities in the SSH server, and I guess the Terrapin one will be added to it, or if they haven't been already. This helps administrators identify and patch potential security risks. And the next Important reason is algorithm recommendations. Based on the analysis, SSH Audit provides recommendations on which algorithms should be enabled and which ones should be disabled to enhance security. And how to get started with that? Setting up SSH Audit is straightforward. Simply follow the installation instructions on their project page and you will be ready in no time. While it's not mentioned on the GitHub, there's a package available on the Arch Linux user repository. You can install it using your preferred AOR helper. That's for Linux people. Uh, running SSH audit. Now that you've installed it, after installation, ensure SSHD is active. Then execute SSH audit with the command SSH-audit and then which host you want to uh, audit, localhost in this case, or an IP address or DNS uh, name. This command produces a comprehensive security report. Pay special attention to the lines highlighted in red and yellow as these indicate areas requiring attention. Here's a snapshot. So they provide a, a screenshot for algorithm uh, recommendations for a demo host. While yours may differ slightly, the approach to resolving issues remain the same. So they list a couple of algorithms uh, to remove, some of them to, uh, oh, in red and yellow. So the red ones are probably more severe than the yellow ones. And uh, there are not just um, keys, but also uh, primary types to eliminate. So key X, key exchanges, Mac and keys themselves. These correspond to key exchange algorithms, Macs and, co and host key algorithms in your SSHD configuration. You may have seen those lines maybe uh, when you edit your SSHD config. Updating that. Armed with a list of issues, it's time to modify your SSHD configuration. That's for the server part. And so they created a file, etc SSH, SSHD config, and then 90-hardening conf, so that they have a nicely separate file where this is uh, read from when the server starts. And they uh, put the recommended key exchange algorithms there that should be enabled, and those who shouldn't be uh, with... Uh, minus in front, I think, that's then disabled, yeah. Okay, and by prefixing values with dash, oh yeah, here we go. We ensure the removal of insecure configurations from the default set, so you can still list them, but you definitely tell the server, please don't activate this uh, algorithm. Because by default, I guess everyone or everything is activated, and if you don't say this one shouldn't be active, then it just uh, activates a potentially vulnerable uh, cipher or algorithm. After updating, restarting SSHD and run SSH audit again. So the scanner runs again on your new config and you should then see no other security warnings. Then when an update is found, updating SSH itself, the client part, while your SSHD is now secure, it's essential to ensure your SSH client also employs a secure configuration. As we've seen in the Terrapin case, you may have a patched daemon uh, on the server side, but if your client is still vulnerable, then the issue kind of persists. So scan and uh, make sure that this doesn't happen on your local machine. In one terminal window, enter sshaudit-c, lowercase c. In another window, connect to the SSH audit process by accessing the port 2222, so ssh-p the port number and then a local host. This will then display a report on your SSH client, so it creates a little connection locally and figures out if there's something uh, out of the ordinary. They do the similar displays in red and yellow for things that should be taken care of. And again, in this case, they encounter the same key exchange Mac and key types. They should uh, probably remove. They map to the uh, same things, key exchange algorithms, Macs, and host key algorithms in your SSH config. And they create a similar file then for the client to also disable those. 
When you execute SSH audit-c again and conduct your tests like shown before, you should no longer encounter any security warnings. And the final thoughts are SSH hardening is an ongoing process and while tools like SSH audit provide a solid foundation, it's essential to stay updated with the latest security practices and vulnerability announcements by projects. Uh, regularly auditing and updating your configurations will ensure a safer digital environment. Yeah, uh, the OpenSSH project uh, releases their configuration as being, you know, a, a well-rounded, secure uh, configuration you, you can basically deploy. But the thing is, is there's so many different implementations of OpenSSH out there uh, by various distributions or hardware vendors or whatever that choose to do things a certain way that can sort of lead to, you know, using unsafe algorithms. Uh, so, you know, a tool like this is uh, quite handy to ensure that, you know, what you're connecting to is a safe server and also what you're connecting from is a safe client. So I just went and had a bit of a look there while we went through that article. Uh, so it's basically a Python package. So you can use uh, PyPy, so pip3 install SSH audit on your uh, favorite uh, um, OpenBSD, FreeBSD, NetBSD, DragonflyBSD, whatever BSD you like, uh, and then uh, test your uh, server and client accordingly. Yeah, do that. You will do yourself and others a favor by keeping the SSH connections secure. All right, but we also have other news in the BSD space. For example, in our news roundup, we have Midnight BSD has uh, published a new version, 3.1.2. That's from the 10th of December 2023 and uh, goes like this. Midnight BSD 3.1.2 includes a security update for PF and a new version of Mport Package Manager. There is a bug they note in import the package manager in this release and import upgrade is not working properly. You can still update packages with import update individually and they are working on a fix that will be included in the future release. Uh, nothing more to that. I guess uh, it's good to have these security updates for PF as always and having a new version of the package manager is also good to have. They have no other news about that but Having a more recent Midnight BSD uh, is always good. Yeah. Uh, the next thing up on the news is a quick post from Theodorat over on the mailing list. Uh, Syscall 2 removed from current. So uh, 7.5 and onward will not have Syscall any longer. Uh, so pin syscall2 has been committed and syscall2 has been removed from current. And then there's uh, the files that have been affected there. Uh, the log message goes, remove support of syscall2, the indirection system call, because it is a dangerous alternative entry point for all system calls, thus incompatible with the precision system call entry point scheme we are heading towards. This has been a three-year mission. First, Perl needed a code-generated wrapper to fake syscall2 as a giant switch table, then all the ports were cleaned with relatively minor fixes, except for Go. Go required two fixes, a framework issue with the old library version, and two was, like Paul, a fake syscall wrapper to handle the IOCTL2 and syscall2 because syscall, sysioctl, occurs all over the place in the Go ecosystem because the Go developers are Plan 9-loving, Unix-hating folk try to build an ecosystem without allowing IOCTL and there was the applicable <laughs> okays across that. Um, so yeah, um, this explains a lot. So just before their hackathon that they had um, a couple of months ago, it was just after the 7.4 release and um, basically the uh, notice went out that said, don't do any um, you know, sys upgrades to current. There's uh, some high breakage stuff going on, and this is what was going on, obviously. And uh, they didn't want to break people's systems that were, you know, testing packages out and that sort of stuff because this landing um, was going to uh, cause an issue. Um, so they took the opportunity at the same time and they uh, bumped the uh, major version number of libc as well. So 
Um, there was a fair bit of breakage, but um, everybody just let it settle down for a month or so and then did the sys upgrade and everything was happy because they'd uh, finished going through the ports tree and stuff like that. So uh, exciting times. It's good to see uh, improved security on one of the uh, most secure operating systems that are out there. So um, mm. happy days. Yeah. Good stuff. Have you ever been to a OpenBSD hackathon? No, I'm not. A, I'm not a developer. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> would be interesting to see some like inside view. I mean, we, we read the reports and Undeadly, and but having someone who's has, who has been there, uh, that it, would be interesting to like the stories. So the stories that I've heard is that it's um, a low latency, high bandwidth environment that they can basically all come together and discuss a lot of stuff and have basically arguments which you know irc and and mailing lists is a you know uh low bandwidth high latency environments so you know you just can't get stuff done but when you get everybody in the same room a lot of stuff gets done and um oh yeah you know we 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 read that in the um you know the reports that we do get out of those development summits and we read them on the show um so it gives you a clear idea of what goes on there and some of the excellent work that comes out of those all right then we have uh, one last bit for you as you may leave the office you may as well click through the freebsd community survey of 2024 that the freebsd foundation has put out so uh, they want to know a bit more about uh, the users and how you use the operating system. So they call all members of the FreeBSD community and in their uh, accompanying post on their blog, they say the FreeBSD core team and the FreeBSD foundation invite you to complete the 2024 FreeBSD community survey. And the link is provided right there for you. The purpose of the service is to collect quantitative data uh, from the public in order to help guide this project's priorities and efforts your input and feedback are very important to us the survey will remain open for a limited time so we ask for your prompt participation i hope it's still open when this episode uh, is available to the public uh, this survey will take approximately 15 minutes to complete we understand it your time is valuable and appreciate your investment to help guide our community thank you for your help the core team and the freebusy foundation so Check this out. It's interesting. That's your way to provide feedback, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to uh, you know, see improved on or what kind of uh, you know, target areas you think should be getting better or are already quite good in your opinion. So uh, we will collect this data and then they will, after the survey uh, time is out, we will probably, when we have results from the survey that they will publish, we will, of course, cover this in a future episode of BSD Now because we're also interested like what people have provided there as input. Does this match our view of the BSD world or the FreeBSD world in particular? Or is there something completely new that we haven't uh, paid too much attention to? Yeah, everybody thinks that, you know, developers drive, drive this. Well, you know, to a point that that's correct. Uh, the project, you know, looks for areas of how their operating system is being used. And by putting your feedback into these sorts of surveys helps, you know, drive things that you want to see in the projects. So, you know, don't hold back, you know, say what you want to say, say how you're using it, say what you'd like to see in it, you know, and even like you know, I put my name to the survey and you don't have to, but, um, you know, uh, if somebody needs any clarification, I want them to be able to get the right clarification and not have to guess. So, you know, take the time, fill out the survey, you know, push the push the project in the direction that you feel that you want it to go into. Yeah, make your voice heard, heard this way. There's also a couple of fields where you can enter uh, text data, I think. So that way you can also write something if something is not very well done with like a uh, please uh, check your boxes or, uh, you know, rank this item or something. BSD Now is sponsored by Tarsnap. Everyone needs backups and Tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe but also secure. Your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud so that only you have the ability to read your data. Tarsnap takes your data and works out what data is duplicated so that bandwidth can be saved. It then assembles your data into compressed blocks encrypts them with your local private key that never leaves your system and then uploads those encrypted blocks to the cloud. So even if someone is able to obtain your backed up data in the cloud, 
they will not be able to decrypt it and access your files. TarSnap is easy to use. If you can use Tar, then you can use TarSnap. TarSnap is prepaid, so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. TarSnap is fully open source, allowing you to inspect the code to make sure that it does what we say it does. TarSnap also does bug bounties if you find errors in the code. With clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse to not have good backups. Go to tarsnap.com to learn more. Okay, then we have feedback from you. People write, send, and uh, comment stuff on our email address, feedback at bsdnow.tv. And uh, one of the people who have written to us is Marcus, how to verify FreeBSD deliverables. And that's a bit longer, but definitely something interesting. <clears throat> I'm a regular listener, he writes, on your podcast for many years now. Cool. I particularly love the pieces of advice around ZFS and the FreeBSD-related news. Yep, that's uh, one of our main goals here to, you know, give you a nice show that you can uh, get something out of. This time, he writes, however, I'm seeking advice regarding the FreeBSD releases signing process. In particular, I'm puzzled by the lack of documentation on how to verify the release deliverables. There is no documentation. There are no signed checksum files bundled with the images. Instead, you have to download them from the FreeBSD release information page. However, you are not done yet. Now you need the key that was used to sign the release. This is a trial and error process because there is no documentation which key was used to sign the checksum files. OpenPGP will tell you once you try validate the signature. Okay, now you know which key to use. However, since the key might not be available at Web of Trust locations of your choice, you are going to have to hunt for it. Because naturally, it is not published anywhere you were looking so far. If there was no mention of a key, why should there be a certificate? So you are moving on. Clearly this is an official key, so it's bound to be listed at the Appendix D of OpenPGP keys in the FreeBSD handbook, right? Uh, you go there, but only to be disappointed. While some amount of despair starts to creep in, you are following the only remaining trail of breadcrumbs on the OpenPGP keys article on the FreeBSD website. There's a separate article. And the associated PGP keyring file. They uh, all link to it from the review or from the submission. Once you got past the unreliable download of the article in PGP keys T, maybe this has been fixed in the meantime, but I had to implement a workaround trying to fetch the files multiple times until the download completes. Oh, okay. And uh, if you're lucky, you will find the key in there. However, there is no guarantee and people have been disappointed in the past. So there's a bug there that's been linked to. Okay. At this point, you might ask, how is it possible that the release signing key of FreeBSD release is not in the FreeBSD keyring? Uh, I'm glad you asked. The feedback continues. The answer is as simple as it is disturbing. The FreeBSD project isn't aware of the key at all. And as far as I can tell from past communication and the lack thereof, neither does it care to be. The people signing the release are using their own personal keys and there's no process in place to make sure minimum requirements are met. But you don't have to take my word for it. Just have a look at the signatures for the current production release, 13.2, which are signed by a 1024-bit DSA key using SHA1. Mm, that's quite old. Of course, I have filed a security incident, but I wouldn't get my hopes up. So far, I have been told this isn't going to be fixed for 13.2, which I find curious, especially since the signed files are not distributed with the images, that the use of uncontrolled personal keys is intentional for security reasons. Okay. In addition to all the above, there are no signed checksums for the distribution files, base TXZ, kernel TXZ, and so on. Wow, which is really odd because base TXZ is particularly very useful and popular to create jails. Right now, the only way to get hold of a verified base TXZ is by downloading an installation ISO, validating the ISO, and extracting base TXZ from it, except for the current production release, which is signed by a broken key using a broken algorithm. While people are asking for readily available and easy-to-follow documentation, as well as reliable release signing process that covers all deliverables for many years already, so far the reactions from the project can only be described as underwhelming at best, which is particularly ironic given the amount of weight security reliefs in the, receives in the project FAQ. Okay, do you have any pointers on how to proceed from here? I have to say, after so many years of trying, I've almost given up. So, um, this is certainly not uh, ideal. Uh, what I uh, would recommend you ask is the, there's two new people on the release engineering team 
Uh, we covered this, I think, in the past. When 14.0 came out, they had also a change of the um, release engineer to Colin Percival. And we also have a new, uh, I think, deputy, what you would call it, yeah, release engineer. So uh, especially Colin is well-versed in, uh, you know, crypto and the past work that he did in this space. And he was also the uh, FreeBSD security uh, engineer in the past. So I think he would be interested in updating these signatures, making them available in the first place, and also providing a separate key to each release that will uh, make you able to you know, verify this is a proper uh, official release and no one else has tempered with it. I think that's the main goal of your uh, feedback here, that you want to have a way to verify that these are official releases provided by the project. Yeah, I think Marcus has uh, hit the nail on the head here. Um, I I think that this is you know a big gaping hole in the whole you know verifying the release uh, component for FreeBSD. Uh, I had a conversation with Ted Uanks back in BSD Can two thousand and fourteen, I think it was, when uh, Signify uh, for OpenBSD was just released, and I thought that was like such the easiest way to solve this problem um and and it has and it's been working since and it's very easy to use um and it would be interesting to see if the uh, freebsd release engineers um, decide to you know listen to this or read this um uh, feedback that's come in and maybe reassess the tooling that's being used as part of the uh, build process and maybe you know look at doing it a different way you know doing it one way for this many years um doesn't mean it's the right way uh, moving forwards and you know bgp uh sorry um open gpg is basically you know it's it's pretty kludgy to use and for you know most users they barely do it uh, you know a, a reliability check to check if the shar shar has changed but you know if there's a lot of people that you know live in pretty bad places of the world and they want to make sure that they're getting something that's not inf interfered with by you know state actors and that sort of stuff so um, making it simple and making it reliable and make it reusable time and time again um, that's that's the the main purpose for you know verifying that you've got something true and correct so yeah i'd like to see i'd like to see it change honestly myself after reading this yeah, so we'll pass this along, uh, or I mean, this is a public episode, you will uh, listen to this, and hopefully we will have a change for 14.1 and 13.3. These are the next upcoming releases, so hopefully those will have a better way to sign these uh, releases and verify them in the first place. Okay, thanks for that feedback. Next one is uh, according to TUI, so this is from, I think it's from Deb. Um, according to the author of TUI, is difficult to use for screen-ready users. Uh, uh, this is a port of their solution, so it's a port uh, for a, uh, a screen reader that uh, will work um, with TUI. So uh, there's a link in the show notes feedback uh, right there. I've also got um, some other follow-up feedback um, because I wasn't around for the recording of 537 and I got to listen to you guys talk about stuff. <laughs> um, so you were talking about jails and um, the different uh, orchestration tools that, that are available there. So I thought I'd, I'd give my two bobs worth um, in the jails, jails area. So we uh, were originally using Easy Jail just for some small jails because we weren't um, at that time a large uh, BSD shop. So... We were using Easy Jail just for orchestration. I think that was back in eleven, I think. And then my um, cage came on the scene. It started to blow up pretty big, and it looked like a good way of managing jails. It had a lot of tooling and that sort of stuff, and it you know it did what we wanted to do. But um, no longer did the the project start up. That it also fell off a cliff too. So um, a lot of us were left stranded there, especially when you know 14 come around, there is no wire cage. Um, so uh, when Bastille BSD came on the scene, we uh, sort of, you know, um, gone, oh, that's something new sort of thing. And it did what we needed to do. And it's quite simplistic and it didn't require a huge amount of 
um, dependencies like IOCage did. Um, it's all shell-based, which made it a really, really easy to use orchestration tool. So, uh, yeah, we started using Bastille BSD and uh, we're still using it today and we were able to port the IOCage stuff over. Basically, we just created the same jail names on Bastille BSD, blew away the uh, the root file system for each jail and then just did a ZFS rename, renamed them all into place and um, uh, just started them back up again and they were, away they went. So, uh, yeah, it was really no difficulty there. So that's that was our, you know, our stepping of history through the uh, different orchestration tools that have come, um, you know, by all means, just use you know the standard uh, uh, command line to spin your jails up if uh, you're that way inclined. But you know I have to uh, take into consideration some of the different skill levels in the team. So um, you know Bastille BSD seems to achieve what we needed to achieve. And it doesn't bring much of dependencies with it since it's completely shell based, and you also have a fairly similar UI than you were used from IOCage. Some of these other gel managers we mentioned have some more features in the networking space, but I guess that's more for advanced users that really want these network uh, capabilities in the jails, uh, using also the gel managers to uh, use them. But yeah, for a simple jail, and as, if you're starting out or just migrating to something, I guess uh, Bastille is perfectly fine to use. Yeah, um, I... I... I uh, submitted the patch uh, a while ago, back when the fourteen, um, you know, fourteen betas were out, and that sort of point. Um, typically, you can't do um, a jail using a, you know, uh, like a beta or a release candidate or something like that. It's like you can do the host. You, typically, you don't do the the jails always work on a release scale, but it was like you know the code was quite simple to look at and that sort of stuff. So. Uh, quickly worked out how to do it and achieve what I want to do. So now there's a way in Bastille BSD to uh, follow the uh, beta and release candidate freight trains for your jails as well as your host system. So uh, that's one bonus point there for Bastille BSD. Yep. All right. Then you have that connection also. And I think we're at the end of this episode. We should definitely mention our Beastie Now Telegram channel if you're interested in popping in and uh, discuss the recent show or what uh, you know audio setup is there. There's a couple of good discussions going on, but it's also not too loud that a lot of people are chatting for the longest uh, time during the day. So it's quite nice if you want to say hi, then drop in and uh, discuss anything that's Beastie Now related. Excellent. All right. Uh, yeah, that seems to be it for today. Thank you very much and um, hope you've all had a great Christmas and you're having an excellent start to your new year. Yeah, right. Enjoy the new year uh, and yeah, all the best will be also available in the new year as well. Catch you later.